Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Julie Weigard, born and raised in Copenhagen, Denmark, is co-founder and CEO of Ruby Cup. Julie studied sustainable business strategies and social entrepreneurship at Copenhagen Business School, the university where the three co-founders met and where Ruby Cup was born as a social business. Julie is a passionate world traveler and has lived and worked abroad in her pre-business life as a commercial dancer and later as a social and sustainable business enthusiast. She spent three years in Kenya building Ruby Cup and has since spent her time in Barcelona building the team and the business. Uh, After hearing that introduction, you know why she is here. So welcome, Julie. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, Before we begin, how are you? Where are you? Uh, Fill me in on what's happening today in your world. I am in Barcelona, Spain, uh, where I've been living since uh, I left Kenya, basically. Um, and um, I am in my home office right now because uh, we uh, are uh, working a lot from home in these times, as everyone else. And uh, yeah, but doing well, um, coping well with the business. Uh, we've been lucky. We're an online business, so uh, so... So yeah, we haven't struggled as much as uh, a lot of others uh, surely have. So uh, no, I'm good, uh, doing well here in in Spain. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Before we hit record, we were talking about a big win that just happened and I'd love to start there. Uh, I love celebrating wins. It's something I do with my clients as much as we can. As entrepreneurs, it's hard to stop and enjoy uh, and celebrate without moving on to the next thing. So please tell us uh, what you were just sharing with me because that is amazing. Yes, we have uh, surpassed a hundred thousand cup donations in 2020. So since our start in 2012, uh, this is where we are today. So that's an amazing milestone for us. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a big, that's a big win. Um, how does that, how does that feel for you knowing that something that you started has reached and helped so many people? It's a bit surreal to be honest. Um, I think, uh, now after working, uh, in, in the business for, for, for years, um, I think sometimes you forget a little bit, you know, you're so into the day to day and things have to happen and so on. So, uh, so yeah, as you say, it's, it's, uh, you have to stop and like ponder a little bit and like, we actually managed to reach a hundred thousand cup donations. It's like more than, than any, um, other, uh, company in the world. And that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're happy about that and, uh, hope we can move on to, uh, the next uh, 100,000 or a million, hopefully, <laughs> next milestone. Amazing. Um, I would love to learn a little bit more about Ruby Cup for my audience who does not know what it is. Um, maybe you could just share a little bit more about the product and the story. I read your story and it's a very beautiful um, story and just how you got into this and how Ruby Cup was born. Yes. So, um, Ruby cup is a menstrual cup. So, and it's, um, uh, a little silicone, soft silicone cup, uh, made of medical grade silicone. Uh, it's very durable, uh, and it uh, can last you up to 10 years if you, if you treat and care Whoa. for it well. 
So it's a huge cost saving investment in terms of uh, buying monthly or versus buying monthly period products. And, uh, and yeah, you just always have it there with you. Um, and uh, it uh, happened, uh, actually my co-founder Maxi, she, when we were at uh, business school, uh, that was, this was in 2005, we started, uh, she was already using a cup back then. Um, there are not so many brands as there are today. And she, uh, you know, during university, I knew that she was using something else and not like a tampon or, you know, like the rest of us. But I always thought like that it was a little bit of a weird hippie thing. <laughs> um, but uh, when we came towards the end of the, the program, um, we had already discussed, we wanted to start something together. And um, then she uh, convinced me and my other co-founder to, to try a cup. And so that was our first thing, you know, let's try this product. Um, and it took a little bit of time, but um, after a couple of periods, I was super convinced and I was like, why have I not known about this product before? Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, um, uh, we were studying uh, uh, social entrepreneurship and, and, and similar courses and um, uh, she had to write a social business plan in one of the courses and made a link, uh, an old childhood memory, someone coming to knock on the door to collect money to buy pads for people in a refugee camp. Mm. Um, and kind of made the link and said, pads are like a drop in the ocean, right? You will never be able to donate enough or sustain a supply for, for everyone. So has anyone ever tried with the cup because it's such a sustainable product and that was kind of the set off um for 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 us and then we were like this this could be like a super good solution for we believe in the product we use it um so why couldn't it be solu a solution for those that struggle to afford uh, period products and uh, yeah that was kind of the kickoff it makes so much sense when you think about it. So I myself have not used one. And I feel like that is a question that I want to ask because I am a hippie. Um, I live in Santa Cruz, California, and I'm super woo-woo. I'm into the feminine, the howling at the moon, all of that stuff that goes along with what you imagine somebody that wears a cup. Um, and I've been basically told so many times uh, why tampons aren't good for me, why I should be trying a cup and like, why am I not, I guess is the first question. So from a business standpoint, what is that initial hurdle? Is it just the unknown? Is it, uh, you know, cultural, like I've been using tampons since I was 12 years old and it's just habitual. Like, what do you find is the biggest hurdle and why more people aren't using it and like sort of where that aha moment happened for you aside from the like saving money, which is so obvious um, as a woman, like how it just affected your cycle and your experience of your period. Um, I think that, um, uh, that it's definitely because it's a, it's a habit or the product you've been using, you've probably been using for, for years and years. And it's something that you're comfortable with. And I think managing your period is something that you just want to be able to handle mm. and be comfortable with. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like a, uh, a thing that invites a lot of risk taking, <laughs> I think for most, uh, for most people. Right. Um, and, um, and we have this thing where we say, if you, tell people the the logical benefits of a cup you know it's healthy it's sustainable it's cost saving it's eco-friendly it's all of these things if you say that it should be a no-brainer right right <laughs> but i think that um i think it's it's more like irrational things that take over mm -hmm. these things like oh i don't know i don't want to be risk-taking during my period you need to kind of invest a little bit of time in it. Um, I know a lot of people that buy a cup and then it sits on the shelf for like six months and then they're mm -hmm. like, okay, now I'm going to do it. Um, and for me, um, what made me try it was because we were wanting to see if we could start a, a, a business around this product. And I'm like, if we um, do that, we have to believe in the product. I mean, I could not, you know, sell a product or donate a product that I don't believe in myself, obviously. So, um, 
for me, that was like, okay, I have to try it. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was an effort. So you need to invest mm. time. And I think people are just busy with a lot of things. And, uh, and yeah, so it was not even the first, uh, period for me when I used it, I was, I thought it was like really complicated and I was, you know, like, oh, sweating a bit when I had to try and take it out. And <laughs> that's just, what I would be doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, it was not until the second period where, where I was, and I think if people have that experience first, maybe they give up at that point, you know, you, you really have to determine to, to yourself to invest a little bit of time because then what happens is sort of this weird epiphany once you get the hang of it. And it's like, like, wow, oh my goodness. Like, wow. Why have I not just mm. used this product forever? Um, you stop thinking about it. It's like contact lenses, right? You have to learn in the beginning. And then once you know, you know, and you just, and you just do it. Um, and there is this change, I think in, in me at least. And I think in, in most cup users, because cup users tend to be like wanting to tell everyone else how great they are. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's just this thing where, where there was a switch in me where I was like, I feel more clean. I feel more in control. Uh, I see my period more, you know, when it doesn't get absorbed, that's very graphic, but it's, it's fine. And, and I know exactly how much I bleed. I mean, wow. I don't know. It, it's just, it's kind of empowering in a little, in a way. And it you sounds feel, like it. You're more in, in control, but you do have to kind of invest that time in uh, in in getting the hang of it if unless you're one of those that just get it the first time some people right. do yeah i mean it's the same thing with learning how to put in a tampon though when you're 12 years old i mean that was just the most awful uncomfortable thing um you know and it took a, a long time for me to get the hang of it so i think that even just after reading about it this morning and having like a personal connection to it like my only friends that that i know that use cups are a little more just um tuned into their feminine in a way that I wish that I was. And I think it's just going to take like that, like you said, just being willing to invest a little bit of time because I appreciate what you said about the rational reasons not being really what causes somebody to do it or not. It's sort of like a more listening to your body. I'm ready to try this thing. I'm ready to try something new. I'm ready to be closer to myself and feel cleaner and feel all of these benefits and embody them versus just intellectualize them. And, um, I mean, even just after talking to you for 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I got to try it. I think now's the time. Um, <laughs> I also just think in general for so long as women, um, and I want to talk about this around menstrual health education, but before we even get into the education, it's just talking about menstrual health in general. Um, I feel like you're tackling as a business so many different um, obstacles because one, menstrual health is just totally taboo and not talked about. Two, it's like a huge problem in so many countries, the education component in general. Um, and then three, the Ruby Cup on top of it is sort of this new um, take, which has so many benefits, but it's do you feel like those are obstacles or, or um, has it been challenging to sort of break into this industry that has been taboo for so long? Like what's that experience like? It's um, definitely an, an extra uh, and resource heavy component that, mm -hmm. that has to be there. Right. Um, because um, uh, the, it doesn't really matter where, if, whether, it's here in Spain where I am or, you know, um, uh, our donating projects, uh, let's just in Kenya in the beginning, it's, it's, you know, a cup is just not something that you can just like say, here you go. It's for your period. Right. You, you have to have that extra component. Um, we were afraid or, or, skeptic in the beginning about this issue like we're like it's such a taboo you know can we talk about vaginas and blood and you know can we talk about all these things um and the positive thing i think about the cup is that 
yes, you have to invest the time in having these, this educational component, whether it's putting out resources online or having in-person uh, workshops uh, uh, like we do with the, with the donation projects, is that once you get a room filled with girls and women and they mm. have this safe space for start for starting to like ask all those questions that they may never have asked or had the opportunity to ask anyone it just it just bombards you know it's a conversation starter um yeah. and the cup because it's a it's an internal product you have to understand your anatomy to use it uh, versus a pad which is external it's a simpler thing you know you can donate you put it in, in your panty and and there you go but it doesn't like require the the cup requires this educational component otherwise it's not going to work um the uptake is very very low so i think it has you know pros and cons it's resource heavy um but we learned that very early on like this is such an important uh component because uh, product donations are not going to solve the problem alone it's very right. much about information you know knowledge is power i mean knowledge is what you gives you uh, control over your body and, and gives you that independence you know look i know what's going on and i know how to to handle it that's so beautiful i just i think it's so interesting that that this conversation is still happening around it being so taboo and i'm i'm guessing for you you've sort of now immersed yourself in a world where period talk and menstrual health is like a regular day-to-day -day conversation but for so many of us it's not and i recently had this like really um, powerful experience with my period and it wasn't until I was like 30 which means 15 years at least of having this like terrible period experience every month until I realized I could do something about it and I actually shared the story with this new blog they're trying to normalize period talk and vagina talk and bleeding talk and all of that stuff and I think too at the age that I am I'm 32 and I'm just now, like I've had all of the resources. I'm, I come from a very privileged background, upbringing, education, college degree. I mean, you name it. I've had access to all of these resources. Um, and just now, I think in the last couple of years, am I starting to really understand um, what it means to be a woman and to have my period and what I can have control over and just being in my body in that way. And so I was set up for success and yet I still um, don't feel 100% comfortable or um, just bringing it up right? Bringing it up and talking about it. And I'm like a pretty loud, outspoken person. So I find that even just in my life, um, it's been such a taboo conversation until the last couple of years where I've met these women who are doing the kind of work that you're doing um, to really empower women to learn more about their bodies. And I just think it's, it's so beautiful and it's so needed and I'm so grateful. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the business model and how you came up with it. I know one-to-one um, -one sounds in theory like, oh, that that's an easy business model. That makes sense. But I've worked, helped companies on the back end of this idea, trying to come up with the best business model, how it creates revenue for you, how it gives back. Tell me about how you came up with the business model and, and, and how it works. Um, like you said, there's an education component. So what happens when I uh, buy a cup? Uh, well, um, what happens is that um, when you buy a cup, um, a cup goes into our uh, donation pile, uh, so to speak. Um, so anywhere, you know, any cup we sell anywhere in the world, we, we count an extra one for, for donations. Um, but um, we have, uh, because we've doing, been doing this for so many years and, and we've been, you know, learning and improving and we really try to, to, to listen and learn from the different contexts that we work in. Um, today we have a quite uh, rigorous uh, uh, program. So, so it's not like when you buy one, then a cup is sent somewhere to someone. It's, right. it's you know, it's like selected. We select partners uh, based on their, um, 
resources? Do they have a presence in the local community? Uh, trust is extremely important. Uh, are they, um, are they uh, you know, are they committed there? Because you know, one 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 time things, you know, uh, is is we've learned over the years that you have to have sustained support mm -hmm. for the programs to become a success. Because we have we have a a, a whole you know educational workshop and uh, that all the the people have to go through and the girls have to go through. But then comes the time where they actually get their period, and then all the questions arise you know um right. and if no one is there if you already kind of went and gave out cups and left and no one is there uh the uptake is 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 uh, is very little um so mm. we've learned that we have to have this sustained support so basically what we do today is that we uh we basically select we do due diligence on all our partners and we require that they are committed on the ground long term um, and uh, that, uh, you know, the educational workshops are in place. We have a really good curriculum that we've developed over the years uh, in collaboration with our partners as well, because the local context is super important and they have the knowledge on the ground. We don't, you know, we can't just make a, right. a model that's detached from the context and go and impose it. You know, we have to kind of adapt to the, the different context and use the the strengths that the different partners have depending on what kind of organization they are but we do require that you know to be a donation partner you have to have sustained support you have to be on the ground committed in the community for the uptake to happen um so mm. and this is really awesome when it happens um you know we have uh we have a uh, western kenya we have had a partner there all since the beginning it's a grassroots organization and and i think they have donated uh almost 30,000 cups in that region wow. and you know it trickles it like rings in the water because you know the girls from the older generation that got the cup and now they know and then they teach the younger girls and it becomes a whole like peer-to-peer -peer, uh education thing and this is super super important so so that's how it works today so we have selected partners and we review the projects and then we we ship out the the the, the cups depending on 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 that it's so many moving pieces it's incredible yeah. <laughs> um that you've been able to find so much success here especially because so from a marketing standpoint i don't we actually didn't talk much about myself, but I have a marketing company um, in addition to doing this podcast. And I always have like this marketing sales hat on. It's really hard for me to take it off. And so just thinking about your model, the question, the first question I had is it's so much easier to find, uh, to keep loyal customers coming back than to constantly finding new customers. And it's actually cheaper too to um, sell to people that are already buying from you. But with your model, uh, you don't need to keep buying because the cup lasts up to 10 years. So one, you have to constantly be finding new uh, people to, to educate and to make the switch kind of thing to the Ruby cup. Now, so my one question is, do you find that most of your users have already used a cup and they just switch to support your model or are many of your users switching to a cup for the first time? It's both. Uh, okay. uh, really. Yeah. Um, a lot of cup users, once they get their first cup, then you get into it and then maybe you get other cups. Um, so, um, uh, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's both. Um, but it is, uh, it is a, it's a business model. It's a challenging business model yeah. from a traditional <laughs> business point of view. You know, that was questions in the beginning from a yeah. lot of, you know, we did a lot of competitions and investor pitches and all these things. And they all asked us, but how are you going to earn money? Yeah. <laughs> you can only sell it once. And, um, and the reply was always like, well, can't, or can't you just say that it only lasts for a year? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was like, that would be a lie. Uh, and that would be, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it would be in our view, we always try to be straight and honest. And it's like the whole idea here is that it's a sustainable product. So right. then we go against our whole like uh, philosophy. Um, but the argument is like there are uh, people in the world, like it menstru at any given point in time, there's like 800 million people menstruating 
yeah. in the world. Yeah. And there are new people that are new girls that get their period probably every day. So the market is huge. Um, right, right. But yes, of course, it is a longer customer acquisition process. Um, yeah. If you want to look at it in that way. And the volumes will never be, uh, uh, you know, able to compete with the volumes of tampon or pad companies, uh, which because of the nature of, of the product, their marketing budgets will always be right. a thousand times bigger. Um, but I think the, the cup, at least for us, and, and, and we've seen it growing so much uh, in the past decade with so many more brands coming up, it just shows that it's something that's here to stay. Yeah, and, I think uh, so. You know, it's, 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 uh, and I think it will be maybe a generational thing as well. Um, mm, like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I just think that so many, like even now, uh, there's just been such a change in the last decade, uh, around, I think normalizing menstrual health and the conversation around it. And I see a big change. And for me, I feel like it's, I'm just having this realization as we're talking. I, I think I always knew I was going to switch. It's just like a matter of time. Like, when am I going to make the switch? Um, I've been called to it. I've, I've been called to try it. And I think that's the first step is just wanting to try something different, a new way to connect to your body. Um, and, and I think it is here to stay and you'll, you're only going to see growth, um, which is why I was so interested in speaking with you. Well, for so many reasons, my other question just about the, um, financial side of things is to create that model of buy one, give one and everything that goes along with it. It's a, it's expensive to do the training. It's expensive to do all this work. Um, did you like incorporate that into the price of the cup? Like, so that you can still, create revenue or, you know, it's, it's a small product. It's not like it's a crazy expensive. How does that work? Um, we did honestly, in the beginning, we were so, you know, new to this and we came straight from business school. Uh, mm -hmm. we actually started with a different uh, business model that didn't work out at all. Oh, um, interesting. But the whole thing was like, we have to somehow find a way to get this product out to people, uh, regardless of their income, that was our whole thing. And it right. has to be a business, uh, it has to be able to grow on its own and not be dependent on, uh, on, uh, on, don on, on charity or donations. Um, but to be honest, uh, in the beginning, uh, we didn't know what it would cost <laughs> to do this whole work that we had set out to, to do. You know, we were, very, we were doing everything ourselves in the beginning. We did the workshops ourselves in Kenya. We did, you know, we, we, it was very much uh, trial and error and just figuring out um, how, how we can do this. Um, so we set our price uh, somewhere in the middle of the existing cups on the market mm. um, in the higher range, definitely, because we knew that we, we obviously need a higher range to have, uh, to, we need to have some margins, right, for it. Um, and, um, and it's worked out. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sustainable price. It, it, wow. it has, it has the margins uh, and so on, but obviously I think compared to, to maybe other brands that sell at a similar price, I mean, we, we have lower margins, right? We spend a bigger chunk on it, on, uh, on the social impact uh, programs. And it's also, um, you know, it's all very much ba based on, on partnerships and collaboration. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we provide the cups for free. We provide support. Uh, uh, we have uh, um our own staff in Kenya, uh, you know, that also in the beginning, we kind of provided everything ourselves, but now it's also like a partnership, right? We provide the cups, we provide the support, uh, but then they can hire our, our trainers in, in Kenya to come and do training of their staff or training directly to the recipients or, or things like that. So it's very, very much a, a partnership-based collaboration, which we learned early on, like, how are we going to scale this? We can't run around ourselves and do all these workshops. Right. That's not going to work. <laughs> right. so, uh, so very quickly, it was like, we have to base this model on, on partnerships. And that's how it's, it's grown to become uh, uh, so big. Uh, yeah. 
It's so cool. It's so cool from obviously a, a female menstrual health education, empowering women standpoint, but then also I'm really interested in like social enterprise and social entrepreneurship. I think business for good is definitely the future. Well, in my world anyway, um, people that I interview, people who I speak to on this podcast, I'm really drawn to like a social driven business, purpose driven, because it's different. It's it's different from a nonprofit. Um, and maybe you could talk to that actually a little bit, just because I think for some reason, like it, this idea still hasn't caught on of like business for good that brings revenue, pays its employees, but also has a social component to it. Um, and it's, it's different. Um, then, I mean, it's, I feel, is it a newer business model or is everybody just finally talking about it? Um, I think, uh, well, I think uh, like uh, more people are talking about it, uh, today, but I kind of feel like before it was like either nonprofit or for profit. And that was sort of your options. And I feel like this is like a new way of living. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it was kind of one or the other back in the day. Uh, and, uh, it was a bit challenging for us in the beginning actually we often got but like are you like an NGO or right right like what do you want to be and I'm like we're a business I mean at the end of the day we're a business and we wanted it to be a business because the 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 growth potential and scalability uh investor money I mean all these things that you can attract as a business it has so much potential for for impact uh you know so so that was like our whole thing but it's like we can be a for-profit business and 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 do good and have and have an impact um i think it's uh, a lot more common uh today uh but it's still um i think for a lot of for a lot of companies or it's still you know detached it's like this is our business and then we do some charity thing over here and uh at least our uh or my background and and all all what we learned back then is like that it's an integrated you know they're not detached it can't be detached it's It's built into your business model yeah one doesn't go without the other and that's the whole thing so we need profit to to have an impact you know it's like it's, it's profit is a, is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something I talk about a lot because a lot of the people I work with, um, have this similar idea of wanting to create a business for good. Um, and money is a really important part of that and making sure that you generate revenue. So one, you can take care of yourself and two, you can take care of whichever niche that you're deciding to focus on. I just think is so important and so beautiful. And, um, I actually find, and this could just be totally wrong, um, but most of the people that I'm speaking to that have these types of businesses are not from the U.S. Um, Yeah, so I'm just realizing that as we're talking is um, a lot of the, I I just do a lot of these interviews with so many people from all around the world and and a lot of the more social-driven, purpose-driven business for good type of uh, models. I'm talking to people that aren't actually living in the U.S. And I don't know if if you find that to be true um, or if I'm just finding, you know, if my, maybe my producer's just finding people that aren't from here, but I find that like this conversation isn't happening as much as I would like it to hear. Oh, that's, <laughs> I don't know, like if I can speak for, for the, for Facts. the U.S. Me but, with my, I mean, this is me with my uh, fake yeah. news. I'm like the queen <laughs> of fake news. So this is probably not true, but it's how <laughs> I feel. I, I do know uh, more social businesses in Europe and mm. in, yeah. in, I guess, in, in, in East Africa. But that's also where we are and where we work. So that might be it. But right. I think, I think a, a challenge is, that could be a challenge uh, is still like the legal mm. setup of a company, you know, depending on how that works in different countries, because you, you have to kind of accept that, like, if you're for profit, you're for profit. I mean, we have people that are like, can we just donate mm. to you? And then please send us, send us the, you know, uh, so you can get the tax, uh, uh, 
deduction, um, which is how it usually works when you donate to charities. And we're like, we would love for you to donate to us, but you can't deduct it from your taxes because we're for profit. Um, mm. And that's just how, how, how it is. But I think, I think that's true for both us and, and, and other countries. You don't really have a legal entity that's kind of flexible towards the social business. Um, right. On the other hand, it has, we were lucky because, because we were like this kind of social, we were in between, uh, so to speak, the two more like either for profit or, 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 or non, non for profit. Uh, we were able to attract both grants and investment money. Mm, so that was a positive, right. right. Um, I think on, on, on our side. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much goes into that at the beginning. Um, I was involved with a couple of organizations, uh, helping with their board and things like that, just making that decision being nonprofit or for-profit and what goes into that. I even have a podcast interview with a friend called nonprofit or for-profit because, um, I feel that some businesses think that that's their only option, um, is to just go non like nonprofit for profit, but then there's this middle model that I think so many more people are starting to adapt to and find like an enhanced quality of life in. And that was one of my next questions for you: is what was one of the biggest surprises? Because obviously, as an entrepreneur creating this business with all of these components, partnerships, globally, education. I mean, actual. Uh, creation and um, engineering of this product. I mean, so many elements went into this uh, that could bring so many challenges. And we talked about a lot of those, but now on the flip side, I'd love for you to share some of your like surprise success stories or wins or things that you just did not expect at all that have happened on the positive end. Um, I think the first one was our like initial fear of um, having this product that requires talking about a taboo uh, mm. or stigmatized topic. Um, that was really in the beginning, like, like, is this at all going to work? Because we have to, you know, have, have those conversations. Um, and that was a really positive surprise uh, uh, in, in the beginning, just seeing how it almost didn't matter if it was a room with girls or if we had stakeholder meeting with a bunch of guys or whatever it was once you start talking about the cup and how it works and everything it was it was such a conversation starter um mm. and uh, and wasn't actually problematic uh, uh uh at all um as long as you create those kind of safe uh safe spaces so that was a really positive surprise um i think um, starting up in Kenya, which was completely foreign. Uh, yeah. Why did you decide to go to Kenya? <laughs> we, um, found a tiny, tiny, um, uh, study that was done in Kenya with, uh, 50 girls and 50 women had been uh, given a cup. Mm. Um, and it was probably one of the first ones in the world because there wasn't much back then. And, um, and the outcome of that was the, was, you know, that, 97%. So 97 of them said that they preferred this product. And if wow, they wow. It, okay. they really like to use it. So because in the beginning we were looking kind of everywhere and we were like, okay, that's an indicator that something might, might be, might work or might be doable. Um, so, so we're, we're moving to Kenya. I mean, that's just how that, that alone, I feel, um, you know, just graduating college, taking off and moving to Kenya for years to, to you're, you're very devoted, um, to this and, yeah. and that's really beautiful and inspiring. I mean, to move to Kenya, um, on this sort of idea that you're going to build this, this product is really amazing. Yeah. It was a, it was a little bit of a leap of faith, yeah. right? We basically went, we didn't know we were going to be there for a couple of months or, and then, uh, I ended up being there for three years and you, you never know how it goes, but that's the reason that we went there. Um, and I think another, uh, big challenge, uh, in the beginning or also kind of fear was we were setting us up, ourselves up to sell a physical uh, product internationally. And, you know, we have to, to, we have to do imports um, into Kenya. Uh, obviously some, some uh, have some fears would hear from everyone about corruption, you know, right. I mean, right. 
and we um, we we were I mean we have zero zero corruption policy. But this whole thing about like navigating the system in, in Kenya in the beginning, I was particularly into the whole like logistical imports permits and all these things, and I was like. Wow how is this going to work? You know, um, how is this going to be? And it was amazing the help that we met. Mm. I mean, from, from everywhere. Um, and to meet with, you know, the import authorities, you know, you could, you could set up a meeting, you know, you can get access, uh, uh, uh in, in Kenya and, Back then, menstruation was already a known challenge in Kenya. The government yeah. has like uh, publicly recognized that it's a problem for girls. So everyone, doesn't matter, uh, businessmen or where, whoever we talked to, they knew about the problem. So once they wow. understood the product, we were kind of welcomed. And just seeing that like, well, there is actually a, a process of doing all these things and we and we've we we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. It's so inspiring I think on so many levels what you've been able to do and not only the people you were able to help and the undertaking that this was and the education but also creating a a profitable business that that you're passionate about and that you love. It's just, you know, a win-win. Um my last two questions for you. Uh one, if you had advice um for, I mean, that's a lot of moving parts and everything that you keep saying, I'm dying to know your astrology chart because you're just very grounded and, um, have all of these moving parts that you just make it seem so simple and, you know, not heavy at all. But for somebody that has a lot on their plate or a lot, I mean, this was a lot to get off the ground and now to, con- to keep it running. Um, how do you sort of on a personal level, maintain, uh, focus or, attack one thing at a time or, you know, what would your advice be for somebody that just has this sort of, uh, idea or mission or even funding in front of them for like where to start and how to spend your time when there's like so many ways that you could be spending it? Um, I think, uh, well, to be honest for us in the beginning, it was a little bit ad hoc. It's hard to like, plan and say, okay, this is our strategy and this is what we're going to do for the next right. six months. There were, there were components of that, but you learn, it's so much uh, learning and intake and inputs in the beginning. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you say that I sound really grounded because I've definitely had periods of, of, uh, of stress and so on, but you learn, right? You yeah. learn uh, over time. I mean, I think in the, in the beginning, there was just no stopping, right? You're just it's your like blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. You just you just put your entire life into this, and then obviously uh, after some years, you also realize well, you actually also have to take have some a time life, yeah, off to for it to become sustainable. Um, so I think um, one thing for us, uh, which I think, at least for me also, it's like typical, this thing that you want things to be perfect or mm-hmm. you want to sometimes have the perfect plan or, you know, if we do it, we really have to like, but, and I think um, we were a really good uh, match, uh, me and my co-founders, uh, that there was also this pull towards like, well, we can't, you know, we can't just sit here and plan. Uh, forever we have to because there will, will be things that you will never know right until you actually go out in reality and try it you can't I mean you can impossibly it's it's impossible so of course you need to kind of plan and and, and have some assumptions of what it is that you think you're going to try and do but but I mean I think testing 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 and 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 f- and learning that failure is good yeah. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't fail, you're not learning anything. Um, if you don't fail, you're not trying anything, I guess. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, uh, that's important to not like knock yourself down. If you fail, that's failure is, is, is a, is a necessity I think for, for growing and for learning. I completely agree. Um, and I just love everything you say about, about that. And, um, 
one thing that makes sense to me. So when I started doing this podcast, and my listeners have heard me say this, um, because I basically say this every episode, my producers do a really good job at finding my people out there um, to talk to, but was to understand why businesses succeed. Um, that was it. Like, well, why is it successful? And for me, every single time it goes back to intention. Um, and you had this intention to create something that's going to change and transform people's lives. And it's so much bigger than you. And it's this, this movement, right? This menstrual health education movement across the globe is so big and so important. And you've made such a major dent in that. Um, and it's easier, I think, to do the blood, sweat, and tears and put in that kind of work and effort when you do feel a part of something bigger. And it's not just in service to yourself. It's actually in service to all of these women and um, the, the globe, really, you know, the future of feminine health. And I just think that that's... Um, the intention, you know, it always goes back to, for me, when I have these conversations, I do this, you know, a couple times a week. And I talk to these people that have created something really successful that they're really passionate about, oftentimes very purpose-driven, um, helping a lot of people. And it's always about the intention that was initially, um, created was to do good and to create something that was going to help other people. And you've managed to do that in a major way. I mean, a hundred thousand donations. It's like, that's, I mean, that's incredible. So my last question is, um, if you have any last piece of advice for somebody that is uh, in school or out of school and wants to do something like this and has this calling to to learn and to go in the trenches and to fail, where do you start? Um, how did you start with like really narrowing down? Like I want to do, I want to work with the menstrual health niche um, and create a product, and it's going to be the cup. Like how did you, you know, narrow down to? to that product or where did you start? Um, I think um, there's intention and there's also sometimes a little bit of a coincidence because I think mm. if I, my co-founder had not introduced me to the cup, I don't think that I would have been uh, uh, doing this today, to be honest. So okay. there's also some kind of coincidence in that. But um, once that was kind of settled that like, this is what we're going to try and do. Uh, I think what what we did is that we 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 basically went to a, a cabin uh, for like a week, and then we just started writing organizations all over the world uh, that worked with women or whatever relevant issue we could find, NGOs, um, charities, uh, and we just wrote them and we presented the cup, and then we asked them like, "Is menstruation a challenge?" where you work, like in your context. And uh, I think we wrote like a couple of hundred or something and the response was just enormous. Wow. I mean, everyone, like so many people wrote back to us like, yes, it's a massive issue. It's such a big uh, challenge on and how to handle it, how to manage it is such a big hinder uh, for, mm. for, for any woman that doesn't have products in their daily lives. Um, lots of shame surrounded with it, misinformation, taboos. And so that was definitely like something that really said, okay, we're onto something here. You know, we're, we're onto something where we can potentially really do good or, or have, an, have an impact. So I think um, uh, I, I definitely didn't um, invent this notion, but, you know, innovations or ideas, I think, they, they usually come up uh, in, in, in a real context because you see a need or you talk to someone that explains you about a need or a problem or a challenge uh, somewhere. And that's usually then you try to think of a solution for, for that problem or challenge. That's usually the, I think, the, the innovations that work because they're based on a real issue. So I think anyone who's like maybe sitting and thinking like I would maybe like to start something is like you get out there and just talk to people 
if, if they already, if there's already an area of interest and talk to people in that area, I mean, really get out there and see if you can find uh, problems in, in, in or needs that can be solved in, in reality. Um, I think if you, um, a product's only going to be, or any any solution is only going to be a success if it's solving a real a real need. Amen. I totally agree. I talk about that all the time. Um, I think that's so beautiful. And the last thing I just wanted to say before we wrap up is I loved what you said about it was intention sort of meets timing. I talk about divine timing all the time and just sort of being open to conversations and people. And you need to just like be awake, I think, to to even recognize that that opportunity and go with it and just follow, you know, your intuition in, in a certain way, because that really like changed your course, um, by having that friend and by having that experience. And here you are, uh, so many years later. And I think that I'm, I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of this stuff is like really out of our control. Like we have um, so many different opportunities that come our way all the time and just staying open and following what feels uh, good to you and what you want to spend your time doing is just such a big part of it. So I do appreciate you saying that and I I appreciate you being here. Um, I'd like to have more of these conversations. Uh, I had a friend that was going to come on and we were going to talk all about periods and then um, I didn't do it. And this is sort of reminding me um, that wherever we are, um, this is a topic that is important to me and there's always something that we can do, like you said, in that niche, um, in that area, problems that can be solved. And for me, as a podcaster, talking about it and giving pl- you know people like you a platform to share um, feels really good. Um, if we wanted to support you more or learn more or uh, any of the things that we can do, but mostly switch and use your products and try this out, can you give me all the calls to action, how we can find you uh, and learn more? Um, I mean, we sell online, so go to rubycup.com and uh, you can buy a cup there or you can simply donate a cup if you don't want one for for yourself. Um, we uh, uh, sell in, in, in various different locations around the world as well. So there's information on, online to find. Um, and uh, uh, we hope uh, actually to um, start working with more uh, US-based uh, organizations next year um so uh this is also something if uh, someone out there uh, knows some really kick-ass uh organizations that work with uh, period poverty in the u.s and uh, we would love to to hear from them um we've started uh in the uk uh last year uh we've done some 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 work in germany as well and and you know the fact of the matter is yes we started in kenya but period poverty exists uh everywhere so so yeah, so we're hoping to uh, to to do that. So yeah, um, but go online and uh, and get a cup or donate one. And, awesome. Yeah, awesome. It was so nice to have this conversation. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing with us. I think on so many levels, um, this was a perfect interview for my audience and and for me. And I always uh, find these interviews just come at the perfect time um, for what I need to hear. So selfishly, I'm. I'm very grateful. So thank you again for being here. Thank you very much, Krista. It's been, it's been really nice talking to you also. Amazing. And to everybody listening, uh, this is such a beautiful conversation. I'm feeling very inspired today, and I hope you are too. Wherever you are, thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, keep growing. 